Good morning, Forest Park Church. Good morning. Great to see your beautiful faces here today. Thank you for joining us for worship. Uh, you are watching online. Thank you for watching as well. Uh, my name is Preston. For those of you who don't know, I'm the student pastor here at Forest Park Church, and I have the privilege and honor of being able to bring part two of our series, Identity. Uh, this is, we, you could call it, it's kind of a, we wrapped ourselves in a conundrum here. We promoted this as the, the most important series of the year. So what comes after it, you know, we never know, but we're going to try to keep your attention. This is the most important series of the year, at least in our opinion. We've been uh, planning and prepping for this message series for about a year now, honestly, since about February. So um, we are excited to bring part two. I'm excited for the Spirit to talk to us today. Um, so before we do, I think I'm gonna, we need to recap where Pastor Scott took us last week. Um, I love the message he brought last week. We answered the question, what is the church? From the New Testament, what is the church supposed to be and what kind of church do we want Forest Park to be? And I encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, to go back and listen to it on YouTube. This week is an amazing message. And you know if I said that, that I really mean it. Um, so I love Pastor Scott and his heart for this church. Um, I want to recap it, but again, this is not a, a synopsis. This is just a synopsis. This is not in its entirety. But we talked about what is the church and what is it supposed to be. And here's four of the points that Pastor Scott went over last week. Uh, number one is people over place. The church is people. We are a people group. Forest Park Church is not the building you're sitting in with the AC right now. Forest Park Church is you. It's the person next to you. That we are a people, not a place. Uh, we want diversity over conformity. That means that we don't want all of you to come in, think the same, act the same, believe the same, vote the same, uh, just kind of fall in line with what everything that we say. We want you to be a diverse people. God's church is diverse in every aspect. Uh, we are going to be purpose over popularity. This means that we are called to make disciples. That is our purpose. I love what Pastor Scott said last week in this point. He said, uh, we at Forest Park Church are not interested in winning a popularity contest in Elizabeth City. And I love what he said after that. He said, and I'm especially not interested in winning a popularity contest with religious people. And I think that's great because that is our heart here at Forest Park. We are interested in making disciples not winning the popularity contest. And then lastly, number four, love over fear. Uh, we have messy people in our church. We are messy people. And we are not going to be a church that's fearful to step into the mess. But we are going to be a people in a church that says, even in your messiest place, we're going to come and be there for you with the love of Christ. And we're going to be there to support you and walk with you through the mess. 
Now, the reason we've kind of tried to encourage you all here today, you watching online, to join us every week for our four-week series, not only because we think it's good, but two, uh, you'll see today that we build upon each sermon from the week prior. So this week, I'm building off of these four points, and the next week when Pastor Scott comes back, he'll build off of what we talk about today. So today, we're really going to answer two questions, very simply. Here's the two questions. What is God's relationship with the church as we just described with those four points? What is God's relationship to the church? And then number two, what is our relationship with one another supposed to look like? What is God's relationship to the church and what is our relationship with one another? And we're going to be talking about a, biblically, a biblical principle called covenant today. Now, I'll a lot of you, I'm sure when you hear covenant, you may think, well, that's a very biblical term. That sounds very churchy. Is this going to be like one of those Bible lectures that you get at, you know, a classroom? No, it's not going to be like that. But covenant, as, I was, as I'll hopefully describe it and walk with us today through, is going to do something amazing. Because once we get to the end of this message, my goal for everyone here today, everyone watching online, is that we'll know exactly how to answer every problem in our life. Every marital strife, every financial struggle, every um, issue we're dealing with in our mental health, all of the problems in your life and in this community and in this world will hopefully be answered and you'll know how to solve them by the end of this message. That's my goal, that's my hope, that's my prayer. So today we are talking about covenant. But instead of trying to really give you a Bible lecture on what covenant is, I think it's important we talk about what covenant isn't. So All of us, from what I can tell, most of us are over 16 in the room. If you're over 16 or 18, most of your life is dictated by contracts. You have contracts all over your life. You have a contract with the bank for the mortgage on your home. You have a contract with your landlord for the rent you owe them. You have a contract for your car payment, for your insurance, for your cell phone bill. Most of our lives are dictated and ran by contracts, which are just simply an exchange of goods for a certain price. I'll pay this and you'll provide this. We'll provide this as long as you pay this. I want to flesh that out a little bit more. Um, I'll kind of use the cell phone analogy. How many of you just raise your hands have Verizon in the room? Verizon users? Right, the people who like pay $300 a month for one line. Yeah, I know. Okay, me and my wife aren't with Verizon, but you know, they could be pretty pricey, so I'll pick on them today. This is no shade at any of you who may have worked at Verizon in the past. But let's say you, you go into Verizon, you want to switch. You go up to the, the sales rep and you say, uh, I'm ready to upgrade my phone and switch from AT&T to Verizon. You know, I have this old, outdated iPhone 12 Pro Max. I really need the newest iPhone 13, even though it does nothing new or nothing different than the phone I have. I want to go ahead and upgrade. So you, you walk in and you say, I want to upgrade. I want to add a family line, and I want unlimited everything, unlimited data, unlimited talk, text, whatever. They say, okay, well, here's what we can do for you. We can offer this. We can upgrade you for this price. You're going to pay $4.55 a month for two people. Awesome. Okay. So you sign the contract, probably written in your blood. I'm sure you had to have a blood covenant or something. You write, and you sign the contract saying, I agree to pay for this amount of time, this price for the services provided. Imagine you wake up the next morning or after a couple months of pain and your phone doesn't work. It won't turn on. You finally plug it in. You finally get it charging. As soon as it, it kind of finally opens up, you realize you can't call anyone. You can't text. You can't check your Instagram. Your phone just isn't working. What are you going to do? You're going to go down to Verizon. You're going to take it to a sales associate, and you're going to say, dude, this isn't working like I thought it would. Imagine the sales associate looks at you and says, "Uh, yeah, we don't do that anymore. Yeah, we're, we're just not interested in providing that kind of service. It's just not what we're doing. When that bill comes next month, are you going to pay it? It's not a rhetorical question. You can interact with me. Are you going to pay the bill? 
No, of course not. You're not going to pay the bill. Why? Because you agreed with the contract that for this price, I will get this service. And if you don't provide the service, I won't get you the money. I'm not doing it. And vice versa, if you don't pay the bill, eventually your phone's getting shut off. Notice when I gave you all the examples of contracts in your life, one of the things I didn't mention as an example was your marriage. Why? Because your marriage isn't contractual. Your marriage is covenantal. How many of you, raise your hands really quick, have ever been to a wedding? I'm not saying you've been in like the party, but you've been to a wedding, you participated. Okay, we have like three people in the room. Some of you are lying. Okay, most of us have been to a wedding at some, at some point in our lives. There's always one part of the ceremony that gets the most awes in the room. It's the exchanging of vows, right? Whether you write your own or whether you just do the, the simple, normal ones. There's a point in the wedding where a man and a wife stand face to face and they recite vows to one another. They recite vows that typically sound like for better or worse, for richer or poor, you know, sickness and in health. I commit myself to you. What, what you won't hear, though, is a wedding where you go and they stand across from each other and they recite vows that sound like this. The wife says to the husband, uh, I promise to love you as long as you cut the grass every Saturday. And then you don't hear the husband say on the other side, well, I'll cut the grass every Saturday, woman, as long as you provide dinner on the table every night when I get home from work. And you don't hear the woman go back and say, well, I'll provide dinner on the table every night as long as you do the dishes every once in a while. I've been slaving all day, right? You don't hear these kind of vows. And if you do, let me give you some advice. You need to go to the gift pile, get your gift, take it back, because in six months, that's going to be at a pawn shop when they get divorced. So don't waste your money. Get it back now. No, we don't hear vows like that because covenantal language is better or worse, sickness and health, no matter what. You know, sweetheart, if I make a million dollars, I'm spending it on you. You're going to get nails every week. You're going to get pedicures every week. I'm going to buy the brand new Louis Vuitton bag for you every Christmas. You're getting it all. And if I make $8,000 a year like I do here at Forest Park, baby, I'm spending it on you. I'm going to buy it. We're going to share a Coke. Every, every day for dinner, we're going to share a pack of ramen every night for dinner. I, we're going to do it together. But that, that's covenantal language. I think that's so, it's such the reason why when Paul describes Christ's relationship to the church, he uses the analogy of a marriage. Look at what he says in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ himself loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul is making a connection here. Marriage and the covenant that's in the marriage covenant is the exact same way that God loves the church, you, the people. So I want to make sure I, I provide a clear definition because you'll hear the word covenant a lot today. Um, I want to make sure that we're clear on what I believe covenant is. This is my definition. This is Preston Waller's dictionary. This isn't a web search or anything. But a covenant to me, from what I understand in the Bible, is this. Covenant is an unconditional giving of ourselves to one another. Covenant is an unconditional giving of ourselves to one another. So if that is God's covenant with the church, what is his relationship with the church supposed to look like? If God has a covenantal love with us, what does his relationship to the body, to the church look like? I have three points I want to make about God's covenant with the church. And you'll see covenant on the screen, but if, for sake, if that confuses you, just replace covenant with relationship in your mind. It's basically the same thing. So what is God's relationship with the church? Well, first off, it's non-discriminatory. A big fancy word I learned in my master's degree that just means it doesn't discriminate. God's love does not discriminate. Look at what Paul writes in Galatians 3. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, 
slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means that God's love for you does not discriminate. That means, hey, if you're in here and you can't, you're, you're working paycheck to paycheck, you barely have enough to pay the rent this month, or you're in here and you have a huge 401k, you have perfect credit score, guess what? God's love for you is the exact same. If you're in here and you're on the brink of divorce and you're filing the paperwork this week, you're ready to call it quits, and you're in here and you've been married 30 years to your faithful wife and you have great-grandchildren and you love her the same today as you always did, guess what? God's love for you both is the same. No less, no more. You have great kids, you have bad kids, you have amazing mental health, you never struggle with depression or anxiety, or your mental health almost every day is a wreck. God's love for you is the same. Republican, Democrat, everything. God's love does not discriminate. It is for all people. Number two, God's love or God's relationship with the church is unconditional. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean? It means you can't do anything, say anything, act any way that will cause God to love you less, cause God to love you more than where you are right now. And here's why. Because everything about God's love is not dependent on your behavior, your actions, and your abilities. You skip church for five months in a row and this is your first time back. God's love for you is the same now as it was the last time you went to church. It's the same. God's love is not conditioned on your behavior or how well we put on an act of how well we have our life together. God's love is unconditional. That's why when it comes to your salvation, there's nothing you added to it. Because there's nothing you can do to earn God's salvation and there's nothing by God's grace you can do to lose your salvation. God's love for you is the same today as it was yesterday and it will be tomorrow. God's love for you is unconditional. It does not change. And lastly, God's relationship with the church is held together by Christ's blood. In Revelation 5, um, you'll see it on screen there. Uh, this is a scene in Revelation, which I don't really understand Revelation, to be honest with you, and I have a master's degree, so that should tell you enough about Revelation. Um, but this is a scene where there's a scroll that's, that no one can open, and finally Jesus comes along and opens the scroll, and then all the elders and all the angels begin to sing this song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. It was by Christ's blood that you were ransomed, that you were rescued, that you were brought into the family of God, and the bond and the seal on God's relationship with you is it's because it's held together by the sacrifice of Christ's blood on the cross for you. His relationship with you is secure because of Christ. It is held together with the blood that was seen on Calvary. So the, the question becomes, if this is God's relationship with the church, and I believe it is, then what should our relationship to one another be? Well, let's go through it really quickly. If God's relationship with the church is this, here's what I believe our relationship to one another should look like. Non-discriminatory, unconditional, held together by Christ's blood. We so often, and I do too, I'm not going to just say it's y'all, it's me too, so often, we want God to give us covenantal love, but we want to live in contracts with everyone else in our life. 
We want God to send us a covenantal love that is unconditional, that doesn't discriminate, that has nothing to do with us, but we want to live in contracts with people in our life and say stuff like, well, I'll love them as long as they love me back. I'll serve them as long as they serve me back. I'll forgive them as long as they apologize. That's not covenantal love. That's not the love that we've been given. Yet we want to give that kind of love with stipulations to people in our life, in our workplace, in our communities, in our families. We want contracts, not covenants. So I know this can seem very philosophical and very theological, and it is, I will say that. What I want to help us do is put this on the ground practically. What does it look like for us to live this way with one another? What are some ways that we can live this out here at Forest Park Church as a body of believers? Uh, in the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, what you'll see is there are 59 one another statements. And I'm not going to put all on the screen. In fact, I'm only going to put half of them. Um, but there are 59 one another statements given by different apostles in different letters that basically say, here's how the church should operate. Here's how people should live in relationship with one another. Here's 59 one another statements. And so I'm going to provide 26. Bear with me. I am going to read through them. I think it's important that we understand what they're saying. Uh, so here are just half of the statements you'll find in the New Testament. We are called as Christians to serve one another, love one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive one another, submit to one another. I know we don't like that one. Commit to one another, build trust with one another, be devoted to one another, be patient with one another. How about this one? Be interested in one another. That's weird, isn't it? I know for all the single guys in the room, that one's not for you. Okay, she's not interested. Stop being interested in her. That doesn't apply to you, okay? You could skip right over that. Just put an X. That's not for you, okay? Be accountable to one another. Confess to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be conceited to one another. Don't pass judgment on one another. Don't slander one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Admonish one another. Carry one another's burdens. Don't be consumed by one another. Hey, we're going to disagree as Christians. We're not always going to all vote the same, believe the same, act the same, have the same socioeconomic mindsets. But there's a way to disagree that is distinctively Christian, that we don't have to be consumed by one another's differences or disagreements, that we can live in harmony, that you don't have to read into everyone's Facebook post. Well, are they really talking about so-and-so when they say this? Are they talking about that ex-staff member when Scott tweets this? No, you don't have to be consumed. You don't have to be consumed by one another. There's ways to disagree in the family of Christ. I love this one. This one might be my favorite. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. These are just half of the one another statements that we find in the New Testament on how we're supposed to live with one another. And guess what? Thank God these aren't contractual. Because if they're contractual, then I'll shut off the lights, I'll go home, I'll wrap it up right now. Hey, I'm hungry too. My Patriots play at one today. I got to get home too. I understand it, okay? Hey, look, we're wasting our time if this is contractual. Why? Because we all mess this up. I mess this up. You mess this up. There are some days I come in and the last thing on my mind is serving you, loving you, being patient with you. There are times we will not get this right. In fact, I would say most of the time we don't get this right but we don't live in contract with one another. We live in covenant with one another, which means that there's grace there. There's forgiveness there. There's patience there when we don't get it right all the time. There should be some level of covenantal grace, understanding, and love given to one another, and hopefully to me too. 
We won't find a place that nails those things. And if you do, you've messed it up by being there because you're not perfect. All churches are messy. All groups of people are messy. But by God's grace, we want to create a covenantal community here at Forest Park Church. So um, I'm going to provide three ways that I believe we can create covenantal community with one another here at Forest Park Church. And, you know, we're, we're, this is kind of the end of my message. And you're saying, the end of the message. Scott, take notes. I'm, I'm 15 minutes before 12. We're about to get out. It's you, you know, right, when a pastor says, we're about to land this plane, that really means, okay, we're halfway through, 30 more minutes. So, hey, look, we're, I'm going to give you three ways to create covenantal community. And I don't mean that just here at Forest Park. I mean in your marriages, in your your workplaces, in the community. How do we create a covenantal community that isn't based on our performance about how people treat us, but based and rooted in the grace of God? So number one, and you, you've probably heard this because Pastor Scott's talked about it for the past months, and I think he's done a great job on it. It's the first thing we have to do if we want to create covenantal community in our lives is we have to shift our minds and our hearts away from consumerism, and we have to shift it towards a community. That the church is not a product to be consumed. Even though we're recording this on YouTube and it'll go out and you can watch it later, we are not a product to be consumed. We are a community of broken, misfit people. By the grace of God, has redeemed all of us. So we have to shift our mind, first and foremost, from seeing this as something to go to, as a hobby to enjoy, as something to be consumed, and start seeing it as a community of people that need one another. We preached on this topic over and over, and I believe honestly in my heart that not just in Elizabeth City, but in the nation and in the world, the church is going through an identity crisis right now. We are. We don't understand what the church is, why it's important, why should I even give my time or money to it. We've seen pastors that we trusted for 20 years have scandals come out, and we start to wonder, can I trust my pastor? Should I even go to church? Do I really need the church to be a Christian? And I believe a lot of people over COVID have just given up on trying to figure out the answers. And there have been times I've felt like giving up too. But we have to shift our mind from consumerism to community. I'm going to share uh, a tweet. I know that sounds very millennial of me. Um, I'm going to share a tweet that Pastor Scott shared with me this week on the screen. And this um, by no means is me trying to be petty, trying to dog someone else. Um, In fact, I'll clarify that there are some parts of it I actually agree with. Um, but here's the truth is I believe the tweet and the responses I'll show to the tweet show a lot about where our hearts and where our minds are when it comes to church in America, especially America. Um, this tweet is from an Asian, uh, former Asian pastor in Asia. So he tweeted this. And so you don't have to think it's someone from around here. This is what he said in a tweet a couple weeks ago. He said, church is saying you can't be Christian or have Christian community without going to church. It's like restaurants saying you can't eat or have dinner without going to. He should have put a, a restaurant. And there's, there's great truth in that. There really is. I think there's something there that we could take away and say, you know what? That's true. Hey, I, I'm tempted to say that's true too. But here's where I think we're making mistakes, in my opinion. And Pastor Scott can correct me next week if he thinks I'm wrong. Um, the tweet itself, content-wise, is not necessarily wrong. What I think we're doing as pastors, unintentionally, I, I say this, is we are slowly but surely putting in your mind and putting in people's minds that the restaurant and church are one and the same. And they aren't. We are not a restaurant. This ain't Burger King. You can't have it your way all the time. We are not a restaurant to be consumed the church is a community of broken people. 
We are not like a restaurant. And I, as, well, as much as I think this comes from a pure place, I don't know the guy. I think what we're unintentionally doing is putting seeds in people's minds that the restaurant is just like church. You don't have to have church to have Christian community. It's just like a restaurant doesn't need to always give you your food. And that is somewhat true. But now we tie church and restaurant in the same. The tweet itself honestly isn't what really bothered me, to be honest. The responses just were very eye-opening to me. Here's two of the responses. The first one says this. I went back to church two weeks ago, first time since COVID. It was okay. But not worth giving up my Sunday mornings again, comma, to be honest. Great grammar there, by the way. I almost tweeted at her and said, that's great grammar. Um, It was okay. You hear the Yelp review there? Three out of five stars, just okay. You know, the worship was all right. Message really wasn't encouraging. My kid, I had to go get my kid out of KidVenture because they didn't know how to handle them. Three out of five stars, but not worth giving up my Sunday mornings. It's just not worth it. So we see the consumeristic contractual language in this response. I went back and tried it. It wasn't that good. So I just don't feel like going back and giving up my Sunday mornings. Pastors don't feel like giving up our Sunday mornings all the time either. There are plenty of Sundays I wish I was sleeping in. But one of the things Scott said in his message last week, which I think is fantastic, is that church isn't supposed to be fun all the time. There are going to be many Sundays you come in here and we're we're not going to entertain you. You're going to be disappointed with the message. You're going to be disappointed with the worship. You're going to be disappointed with maybe how Muddy's is operating. You know, and I, I think what we have to understand is that we are not a product to be consumed. The next response says this. I 100% go to church because mine meets at night and would not go if it was in the morning. Do you, again, I'm not trying to be petty and make fun of these people. They probably have real trauma experiences with church that cause them to see it this way. But do you hear the contractual language, the consumeristic language? Hey, they, if they didn't meet at night, I wouldn't go at all. I only go because they offer a Saturday night service. Again, the consumeristic language of it has to be the way I want it or it's not worth going. Because it's a product to be consumed. It's a rating to put on Yelp. It's not a community of grace. It's just something to add to my daily, weekly life. And that is not what the New Testament church is. So this is the first thing. We have to shift our mind from consumerism to community. But secondly, and I feel like really most importantly, if we want to create covenantal community, we have to understand that it's about others more than myself. It's about others more than myself. Um, You know, I've been at Forest Park a year and a half now. It's not very long in the grand scheme of the church. Um, But I have grown fond of Forest Park. And by Forest Park, I mean not... This, I mean, you, I really have. I had a conversation with one of my volunteers this week, and we were just talking about, you know, Elizabeth City and how I was really adapting after a year and a half and COVID restrictions kind of coming to an end. And I said, hey, look, I said, you know, if I wasn't even working at Forest Park Church, I'd probably try to stay in Elizabeth City. I've grown to love the city. I've grown to love the community. I have grown to love what you guys call the harbor of hospitality. I, I love this place. I love you. I've grown to be fond of this place. But I will tell you, that church is not about you. What we do is not about you. And I know that's hard to hear. It's hard for me to hear because there's real hurt in this room. There's real worries in this room. There's real people who need God to come in and move in their life right now. But church is not about you. When we look at the 59 one another statements that I listed on the screen a while ago, um, people who prioritize church as something for them, oftentimes I'll hear them say stuff like this. Or I'll read, because they never tell me. I'll read it on their Facebook status later when they post it. They'll say stuff like this. They'll say, "Uh, I went to church and I walked right by and none of the first impressions people greeted me. 
I, I walked through the Muddy's line. I, I came in and I went home and no one encouraged me. You know, I wasn't encouraged by the message. I, I needed someone to pray for me, but no one took time. The pastor just kind of glanced over me and he didn't pray for me. And let me be clear before I go on. There's times that, you know, those are real hurts. I understand that. What I'm, I'm also trying to tell you is that in a covenantal community, what people should and will be saying is something like this. You know, I'm having a tough time, but when I walk through the doors of Forest Park, the first thought on my mind is, who can I greet today? Who can I encourage today? Who can I look for that looks discouraged and pray for them? You know, the pastors aren't the only ones who have to do the ministry of the gospel. You're called to do the ministry of the gospel too. We don't have any special connection to Jesus that allows us our prayers any more than yours. I, I know I'm going through a tough time, but that person looks discouraged. How can I help walk with them and carry their burdens right now? Covenantal community comes in and says, it's not about me. Right now, it's about the person God has put in front of me and being there for them. I think in a, in a lot of ways, and I said this, it, it may come off as a joke. I said this last service. In a lot of ways, I feel like uh, my, my students understand this principle better than we do, and including myself. Um, for those of you who don't know, I run the next student ministry here. That meets twice a month. Most next nights, you know, we have 25 to 35 students show up, anywhere between on a low end, 25, on a high end, like 35, 40 pretty cool you know my job is to get those events together make sure the worship's in check get the message get the small group material encourage pray for kids that is quote my job as much as that sounds weird to say um but last Sunday we had next and to be honest with you you know it's hard for pastors sometimes to not take things personally when people don't show up and I that's just me being honest you know I I don't have any desire to fake something up here um, you know, it's hard when you pour in your work, you pour in your prayers, you pour in relationships with students and something like last Sunday where five students show up, you know, you, you begin to be very hard on yourself and that is what I did. I, I became very hard on myself. I started uh, feeling discouraged. I felt like, man, I've been pouring in all this time and no one showed up and maybe the students are just kind of done with next and done with me. And then, you know, I'm one of those guys who if I'm discouraged, you'll know it. I can't fake it. I wish I could come in with a happy smile every Sunday and just kind of be like, my life's perfect, even though like my house is burning down in the background. Um, I can't. And my volunteers knew that and they sensed that. And my students sensed that and felt that in the room. And I did my little devotion up front, which isn't the point of the story. But after the devotion, you know, they, the volunteers and the students came up and put their hands on me and prayed over me. And, you know, it is my job as their pastor to do that for them. But in that moment, they said, it's not about me. It's about my pastor who's having a tough night. How can we pray for them? I pray for him. And that is what I'm trying to tell you today is that it's not about us. Imagine this because, uh, you know, I think it's important for us to understand that I'm not telling you your needs don't matter. What I'm saying is if everyone in here, everyone watching online, walked into the doors of Forest Park next Sunday morning and said, it's not about me, it's about the person in front of me, you know what would happen? None of us would leave here unencouraged. None of us would leave here feeling lonely. None of us would leave here without being prayed for. Why? Because we would put our needs on the back and say, right now, it's about the person beside me. How can I be to them what Jesus was for me? And here's the, here's the deal. I said this last service, and Scott will correct me next week again if it's wrong. I truly believe what we're trying to do here at Forest Park, and I can speak from a staff perspective, is we are trying to build gospel-centered community. And here's the truth. Gospel-centered community does not demand from others. 
but seeks to become to others what Christ is for them. And that's the kind of community that we've prayed for, that we're working for, that we're pushing you towards, that we hope you push us towards too, is to be a community of believers that does not demand from others. But a community of believers that says, I will become to others what Christ is for me. I will become a servant. I will become last in the line for the sake of the gospel, for the building up of the kingdom, for the betterment of the church. I will come in and become to others what Christ is for me. And that is gospel-centered community. That's why when you read Acts, you see that everyone in the church of Acts went without need. Why? Because no one considered their need greater than the one beside them. And they all said, how can I feed this person? How can I shelter this person? How can I donate my possessions to the poor? And everyone's needs were met because no one made it about themselves. And then lastly, uh, number one is we shift from consumerism to community. Number two is we have others greater than ourselves. And the last way I believe we create a covenantal community here at Forest Park is number three, we have to commit to the fight. Commit to the fight. Uh, my last year at my previous church before um, I came here, I, I was going through somewhat of a burnout stage. I was tired, depressed. Uh, I was just on the edge of burnout. And I had to start seeking counseling from the lead pastor, not because I was committing any great sin, but because I needed some counseling. I needed some encouragement. I needed someone to talk me through the things I was experiencing with burnout. And I talked to him about my marriage some, and you know, like any marriage, we all have fights and we all have things we struggle with. And I remember telling him one day, I said, you know, um, Donnie, it seems like me and Carla every about six, seven months have the same fight. And it it's starting to just be like, is this ever going to stop being something we fight about? You know, it's just like, why won't it go away? Why can't we stop fighting about this thing? And he, he looked at me and he said, Preston, you are going to fight with someone for the rest of your life. Do you want it to be Carla? And my invitation to you as we, we get ready to close now is you're going to fight with somebody in some church. You want to go to Fountain of Life, you're going to fight with them. You're going to go to a new community, you're going to fight with them. And that's nothing bad against them. They're great churches with beautiful pastors who love their sheep. But you're going to fight with the church no matter where you go. And guess what? Even if you don't go to church, you're going to fight with somebody. You're going to fight with your boss, your coworkers, the people in the community who don't see the things the same way you see them. You are going to fight with somebody for the rest of your life. My invitation to everyone in here, everyone watching online is, would you fight with us? Would you fight with Forest Park? Would you say, even when I don't agree, even when I wouldn't do it that way, even when I would like to see some things change, I'm committing to the fight here with these people around me. You're gonna have to fight with somebody. We're simply asking, would you fight with us? What would happen if we all did these three things? Here's what I believe in the heart of my hearts. If all of us did these three things to the best of our ability, not perfectly, you would see Elizabeth City change radically. Our 20% poverty rate would go down because no one would try to build up a 25 year early retirement in their 401k, but give to the poor. We wouldn't see students starving because the only lunch, the only meal they get is at lunch at school once a day, because we would look at them and say, how can I feed? How can I come alongside and help? We wouldn't see so many divorces because people would come around and help and support the people struggling in their marriage. Now, let me be clear. What I'm not saying is if we all did this perfectly, there would be no pain, no divorce, no hungry children, because there always will be. But there would be a drastic change in the community around us and in your marriage, in your workplaces, if everyone had this mindset. 
because it's only when we say it's not about me, it's about the kingdom. I, I've, I've said this before and I'll say it to you as I get ready to praise out of here. I have little to no allegiance to Forest Park Church. My allegiance is to the kingdom and I'm here to build the kingdom in and through Forest Park Church to the best of my ability. I'm not interested in building crowds, building fake hype. As Scott said last week, I am interested in seeing God do the miraculous in healing our land and healing our city and healing our world through building kingdom in our surrounding areas. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom. But when we commit to covenantal community, we'll see God do amazing things and change this world. But it has to start with us and the person next to you saying, the love you've given me, Christ, I now give to my neighbor, to the person next to me. So, do you want to fight with Forest Park Church? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy. You have given us so much, God, that we don't deserve. Your, your love that you poured out on the church is so beautiful. It's so non-discriminatory. It's so unconditional. It's so based in the love of sacrifice of Christ, God. I pray for everyone in this room watching online, myself first and foremost, that we would become men and women that extend that same love to the people in our lives that it's not gonna be conditioned on if they like us or they don't like us, but it's gonna be rooted in the gospel. I pray that we would become a a community in Elizabeth City that seeks to reach the lost, seeks to help the poor, seeks to pray for our neighbors. And not that our needs don't matter, God, but that we would put our needs on the back so that we could put the needs of our neighbor before us on the front lines. God, there's so much you're, you're ready to do, I believe, not only in Forest Park, but in Elizabeth City. Would you convict us where we need convicting, encourage us where we need encouraging, God, and allow us to step forward in faith, trusting you, knowing that you've got it, knowing that you can use us. You don't need us, but you choose to use us to bring change to the world. God, would you bless us as we go? Would you bring us back next week and allow everything we do from this point on be about others and be about your kingdom. We pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.